0: welcome to ace podcasts thanks for tuning in as we elevate clinical endocrinology by taking deep dives into trends and topics that can help us improve our patient care and global health find the latest episodes on aace.com podcasts and now let's meet the endocrine experts who will be talking with us today hi and welcome to this ace podcast my name is vin tank preacher and I'm the host of today's podcast. I'm also the editor-in-chief of Endocrine Practice, the official journal of ACE. We are delighted today to be talking about the new ACE clinical practice guidelines and consensus statements. In this year's Endocrine Practice in May, ACE published guidance on how they're going to handle clinical practice guidelines and consensus statements, and we have two outstanding guests with us today who are authors of this guidelines, Dr. Ricardo Carrera and Dr. Joanna Mirgaia, who are going to discuss these new guidelines. Dr. Carrera, thanks for joining us. Can you introduce yourself to
1: the audience? Yes, thank you so much, Dr. Tamprika, for the introduction. My name is Ricardo Carrera. I am an endocrinologist by training. I work in the Cleveland Clinic as the program director and director for health equity, and I'm also the chair of the Clinical Practice Guidelines Committee for ACE.
0: Thank you. And we look forward to talking to you today. And Dr. Gaya, can you introduce yourself?
2: Thank you, Dr. Tenprecha. My name is Joanna Miragaya. I'm a clinical endocrinologist located in Georgia with the Wellstar Health System. And I'm also the vice chair of the Clinical Practice Guidelines Oversight Committee.
0: All right. Well, let's get right into it. The audience is probably wondering why are we... Uh, updating how we do guidelines. I mean, wasn't the process good already? So Dr. Carrera, tell us what's new and why should the audience care about this?
1: Yes, thank you for that question. I think that in the guidelines world in the last probably 10 years, there has been many changes. What we are trying to strive is to achieve a highest level of confidence in a guideline trying to determine by the highest level of evidence and the practicability of that. So with this in mind, uh, there was different process in multiple societies that do guidelines, and it came with a consensus among what would be the best way or best methodology to do these kind of things. And there was an evaluation of certain guidelines by certain organizations. One of them evaluate the ACE guideline, determining that there was a need of changing the model that we were using to a new model that have a new methodology that was a stronger methodology and that can be compatible with other societies so when we want to share our guidelines or Mm -hmm. ask for endorsement or co sponsorship with other societies the other societies will feel strongly agree with that and Mm -hmm. with that it's the main thing always is looking For methodology things. So, in this new guideline for guidelines that was published this year, several things came into the new process. One of them has been uh, our conflict of interest policy. So, we Mm -hmm. made stronger that conflict of interest policy, having more things that can affect the decision making of the members of the task force. So that was a big part of the new changes. The next part that I think that was very good that was introduced and put into place is with the new ACE vision and mission on diversity, equity, and inclusion, introducing diversity, equity, and inclusion to the guidelines. Meaning that the diversity, not only on the characteristics that we know, but diversity of thought and diversity of profession can Mm -hmm. come into a setting where these guidelines are. So you can see that in our task force now, it's very strict to have diversity, equity, and inclusion. And the third thing that I can highlight that I think that was the biggest and the strongest part of the new guidelines is the new methodology. And we finally achieved to be a part of GRADE. So we are using the GRADE uh, system as part of our guidelines. And this takes a lot of time because it's a new process where you evaluate different PICOT questions and the PICOT questions needs systematic reviews that are coming to evaluate the evidence. And the process is intense, but it guarantees that at the end, the recommendation that is produced by the guideline has certain strength that people Mm -hmm. can trust. And it's Mm -hmm. not influenced by bias or influenced by friendship Mm -hmm. or whatever we are doing in our practice, but it's influenced by evidence in conjunction to what the task force decide that will be the best process to do it. So I think that those three things, the strengthening of the conflict of interest, the immersion of diversity, equity, and inclusion as part of the selection. And as part of task force members, and finally, the great system as part of the new methodology has been what we have changed to make it into the new world of these new guidelines.
0: Thank you, Dr. Carrera, for explaining that. I just want to have a follow-up question now. You mentioned that there are many ways to do guidelines, and Now, the GRADE methodology seems to be the most robust and transparent in terms of writing guidelines. Are there other methodologies out there besides GRADE? I mean, it sounds like GRADE is the best, right?
1: Yes. So definitely there is other methodologies depending from GRADE being the strongest, but there are others. The Oxford system where they use certain strength of evidence to the old way of doing guidelines that was we sit down together, Mm -hmm. we say what we practice and how we practice and we put that in a guideline and then we publish it. So Mm -hmm. that's the part that we are trying to go away and be more into the prime of what the evidence coming from research, not decreasing the clinical expertise, but Mm -hmm. putting a lot of effort on the evidence coming from research is adding to this new method methodology. But great is not the only one. Great is the one that probably has been accepted and is growing and expanding more. There are others that are as good as great that other societies or organizations that do guidelines implement. The things that we want is to have a strict methodology. It doesn't matter if it's called, for us is great, but for others it can be different. But if you have that strict methodology, That is what we are achieving, where you're more confident, as you mentioned, that when you read a recommendation, it's not because a group of people decided, but it's because what evidence behind for Mm -hmm. that question comes.
0: So in the future, all the ACE guidelines will be great. Is that what the document says now? Correct.
1: Yes. From now on, we are starting from this last two years, all of the guidelines that are coming will be based on the great methodology. Great. A question for
0: Dr. Mir Gaya. Now, I think a lot of people get confused between clinical practice guidelines and consensus statements. Could you describe exactly what is the difference and why you would follow one or the other, or how do we interpret these documents that are published?
2: Sure. So, consensus statements, they don't require such a extensive research and extensive process and a systematic appraisal of evidence like a clinical practice guideline would require. And it's a less formal process for development of the statement as well. And we do take in consideration expert opinions while you don't with the clinical practice guidelines. And with that, you allow for the consensus not only to be available for more of a providing a guidance for the clinicians out there in the community, but also helps through the algorithms and other ways for the clinicians. And being in the availability, the turnover tends to be a little bit faster than the clinical practice guidelines due to requiring less extensive appraisal.
0: So, when would it be appropriate to have a clinical practice guideline versus a consensus statement? I guess that's maybe sometimes some confusion why something is a consensus statement, something is a guideline.
2: Right. And it's important to differentiate the two. And sometimes consensus statements are done when there's not enough evidence available for that. So mm-hmm. when we rely more on the expert opinion, such in situations of rare endocrine disorders, those are the times that you are more likely to use a consensus statement because of the lack of clinical trials, the lack of research, or the lack of any data available to be able to conduct a clinical practice.
0: Okay. Thank you very much. I think that makes sense. Perhaps if there's a topic that has only 10 papers, but it's still very important, it sounds like that would be consensus statement versus something that's a thousand papers, you might do a guideline.
1: Right, uh, And the other thing that if I can add to that is, for example, some of the algorithms that we publish are more a consensus statement. Some of the evidence, if you think in an algorithm, probably some of them can come from evidence, but others are coming more for what this group of expert members of the task force decide that should be the way of doing things. So when we think about algorithms, we can also think that it's more part of a consensus statement than really a, a guideline.
0: Okay, thank you. So Dr. Carrera, I was wondering, one big decision that ACE has to make is when to update a guideline. And so I was wondering if you can walk us through, when does ACE decide it's time to do a new osteoporosis guideline or diabetes guideline? What is the process there?
1: Yeah and and I think that this is a great question because we are in that process of the prioritization of our guidelines. So basically the big thing is the clinical practice guideline oversight committee that is the one that is in charge of of all the the guideline process is in charge also on determining what are the needs for the organization and what are the hierarchy or prioritization of which are coming first or are in the list. Definitely certain things are taken into account. One is how fast the evidence of different disease are produced. So we mm-hmm. know that certain diseases, like rare conditions, we know that probably those guidelines can continue for longer time, because the evidence produced is slower. But there, mm-hmm. there are diseases like diabetes, and that we know that every day something new comes. So those are the ones that probably the evidence comes faster. So all of this is being taken into account. It's being presented to the oversight committee and the oversight committee make a decision on uh, how they want to prioritize. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that we have to take into account also is that guidelines takes time and resources, not just for the task force, but for the staff and all of that. So we don't have unlimited possibilities of doing things. So we have limited things. And that's why it's so important that the oversight committee determine what is the strategy that they would like to see in the upcoming years, in the upcoming three years for the guidelines part, for the scientific part of the organization, so we can determine which guideline we will do first, second, or third because of the limited resources.
0: Okay. Thank you very much. Dr. Guy, I was wondering about the member review and comment. I think that is a new process this year going forward. Can you comment on how that's going to influence the future guidelines?
2: Sure. So one of the things that we want to the community engagement, we want our members to be able to participate and voice their opinions in relation to the guidelines, if they have any comments or suggestions, and as well for As Ricardo mentioned about the prioritization. So we do take that into account when we prioritize and decide which one are we going to update or or not on the guidelines. So that's a new process we're going to be opening to the Mm -hmm. public. We're still deciding on for how many weeks we're going to be open for public comments.
0: So what will the authors do with this public comment?
2: I don't think that's going to be available, and I think that that I'm going to need Ricardo help. I think this is more of a comment for prioritization and suggestions. Okay. We will be open for suggestions for the authors. The authors can review and add a commentary if they feel appropriate, depending on the comments. But I think we're going to be filtering some of the comments before it reaches to the authors.
0: I think Dr. Kerr is nodding yes, so that sounds <laughs> right. Another question for Dr. Carrera, I mean, some of the complaints we always get is, oh, why do we need to have a another guideline? Why can't all the organizations work together and have just one guideline? So, Dr. Carrera, what is the process of working with other organizations? I mean, ACE has been very good in this era and co-sponsored many guidelines. What will the new process be working with other organizations?
1: It's very dependent of every organization. So, if you look, every organization that produces guidelines has certain criterias that they use for let's co-sponsor, let's uh, endorse, or let's mm-hmm. do together a guideline. There are extremes. For example, there's one organization that we always ask, and their criteria is that they will not endorse, co-sponsor anything from any other organization. They just produce by themselves. And there are organizations like ours where we usually try... As mm-hmm. much as we can to join together with other organizations that have similar topics in mind to produce something in conjunction to decrease that that you mentioned, the burden of having 10 guidelines of the same topic. And I know as a clinician, when you are in your practice, which one uh, you, I follow this or I follow this, or I follow and th- that should not be the way. The way is that you should follow the ones that is the evidence-based, and everything when it's evidence-based should be the same. So, for example, and that is the one of the main reasons that we decided to move to this new methodology, because mm-hmm. in the past, when we tried to ask other organizations to join us in certain topics, they will say no, because they look at our guidelines and they say, which is your methodology, like which are the one that you're using. Now that we're in grade, probably we're more aligned to the en- other endocrine societies, and then Now it will be easier because it's the same methodology. So we follow the same process that the others. So that's how we get guidelines to come together. But it's very, as I mentioned at the beginning, very dependent of organizations. And sometimes it's easier Mm -hmm. with others and sometimes it's difficult. And sometimes people want to be the star and have the show and Mm -hmm. others want to have the same thing. So so we will still driving in that world, I think that the future will look like that because everything is based on strict methodology, we will not have all of this later on because it will be the same. It's coming from evidence. So it's not like we decide this or we decide that.
0: Yeah, it sounds like with everyone hopefully moving towards a similar methodology, there'll be less confusion. And no matter... However whatever question you set up it'll, it'll come to the same recommendation if you're using the same methodology.
2: We try to avoid doing duplicate or redundant work, so we are always in communication with the other societies to avoid doing a duplicate work on a, on a guideline.
0: And that's great because you don't need 10 guidelines on on one topic. <laughs> you know that's just uh, causes a lot of confusion. Dr. Mirgaier, can you talk a little bit about the grading system a little bit? Like, how do you differentiate something that's low-grade, high-grade? Or, I mean, what is the lingo that people should use when they say, when they describe to the patients, oh, you should have that thyroid move, that's an X grade? What do you tell people?
2: The the grade methodology is a very strict methodology. They use the STRONG, which is the, you might tell the definition, Uh, that it's high confidence uh, level, the conditional, which is a lower confidence level, and then the good practice statement, which is then ungraded. So you can go from a high to a moderate, to a low, to a none. So those are the way that grade methodology works.
0: So you can tell your patients there's high confidence in this recommendation, right?
2: Yes. So you can say for certain that's a high confidence, and then that the most informed patients will choose the recommended option or options according to the guidelines.
0: Great. Dr. Carrera, you mentioned earlier about the conflict of interests being a new approach in making guidelines. Can you talk a little bit about that? How is that managed?
1: Yes. So basically, with the new policy, every member of the task force is required to disclose any relationship and interest during The preceding 24 months, and is included, but not limited to stock, companies, products, ownership, consulting, research, speaker, bureau, and activities or leadership position at other organizations. And with this, this is sent to one subcommittee that Mm -hmm. is part of the CPG oversight committee that is called the conflict of interest subcommittee. These people will look at all of these disclosures and will determine if there is a conflict that can be resolved. Because if we look at a guideline, 40% can be in what we call conflicted area. So these mm-hmm. people have some kind of conflict of interest and 60% should have no conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. So depending on that, that subcommittee will decide, well, we have 40%, we have 60% or we are more or less there. This can be resolved. This cannot be resolved. And then that's how we decided to put this task forward together because we have to follow that strict policy. And also this conflict of interest subcommittee evaluate continuously yeah. Those members of the task force. it's not because you enter to the task force. Mm-hmm. you're already exempt of anything that happened. In life, things happen. So yeah. we can become conflicted later on. and okay. then we have to we always have to disclose everything. And sometimes it happens that we will have to dismiss a person okay. because there is a new conflict that is introduced in the middle, but that's mm. the monitor of the. COI subcommittee that is yeah. always constant. that I know it's very strict. I know that in a small world like endocrine, sometimes it gets very difficult to not find somebody that have a little bit of conflict here or there. Mm-hmm. But what we aim is to have less and less conflict because you want that the final production is not biased mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. any conflict that somebody can have.
0: Yeah, and you wouldn't want the appearance of any bias or conflict. So I think that's good that that is addressed in these guidelines. Dr. Miragai, I know Dr. Carrera mentioned the diversity. Could you comment on ACE's commitment to increasing diversity on the guidelines?
2: Yes, ACE has been very strong about adding uh, diversity into all their committees, subcommittees, but as well as the guidelines. The goal is to reach not only for the experts in the field, but also to those that are in early career Mm -hmm. and as well as fellows in training. So the goal, and of course, with that also add based on your location and other minorities as part of including all of our community as much as possible. So we do have as well a DEI subcommittee and Mm -hmm. that process similar to the COI once we have the impanelment. We also, that we are making sure that we are getting the diversity that is required now for ACE.
0: Okay, great. So in the last few minutes, I was wondering if each of you could just maybe tell us what's your most important point of the guidelines. This has been the most exciting podcast I've heard on guidelines. So I just thought we would just send the listener with one key point from the new guidelines. So Dr. Carrera, can you start?
1: Yes. So I think that we are living in an excited moment where the decisions that we're making in the clinical world are being driven by what the evidence combined with the master expertise of the leading expert in that area are doing. So with the new guideline methodology, we can be sure a little bit more that what it's produced will have the recommendation that it's appropriate for that clinical practice with some, as I mentioned, evidence combined with clinical expertise. So as I mentioned, I think that it's a world that is changing. We came from the Osler way of doing things where the teacher teach the student and the student need to follow strictly what the teacher said to a point where now evidence come from research and strong research decide what is the best things to do with our patient. Of course, we never will let back clinical expertise and values and preferences of the patients. And I think that's something that is very important in our great methodology is that we take into account, for example, in the process, you will see health equity Mm-hmm. And you can de- degrade or upgrade the evidence depending on health equity and depending on values and preference of patients, all of that kind of things that in the past it was not, it was what the physician decided to do. Nowadays, mm-hmm. it's, it's a mix of things. Right. Dr. Mirgaia?
2: Making it short, I think it's our goal to provide to our community clinicians the highest level of care for patient care and for trust of patient care as well.
0: Well, this has been a great conversation. I think uh, after talking to both of you, I have a better understanding of the ACE guidelines. And I think you're right. The future is bright. I'm so happy that we're finally getting to some standardized guideline procedure. And that'll make it much easier to understand for all readers. And I'm looking forward to the future guidelines with these new guidelines procedures. So thank you both for coming on the podcast and explaining to our audience this new document. And I look forward to the next one. What's the next guideline?
1: So the next guideline that is coming is it will be dyslipidemia. Oh, good. Yeah. So we can look forward to that. Thank you for the invitation.
0: Thank you. Thanks for listening to another great ACE podcast. Join us for another episode at aace.com slash podcasts and help us in our mission to elevate clinical endocrinology. Together, we are ACE.